What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human beings too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how many years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual combo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. We are so grateful that you're here. So if you enjoy this podcast and want to connect further, we invite you to follow along on Instagram at what the actual fork pod and subscribe, rate and review our podcast so we can continue to share this message with more and more people. Now let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of what the actual fork podcast. Jenna, I think we're both doing great today. Don't even say the word. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. (laughs) And if listeners are like, what word? Go listen to our last 10 episodes. (laughs) And we all open with talking about the S word. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to call it the S word on here. We're not even going to say it. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yes. I'm just going to leave it there. We're feeling good. And at first I didn't think I had the, what the actual fork moment. And I know that you're still thinking of yours. So I'm just going to kick it off with mine because it just came to me. And I know you did a TikTok on this and so did I. And I think they both did actually very well, but the fucking newer, new-ish or like the exposing of the new filters on TikTok is insane to me. So that one filter, I think it's called like bold glamour. Yes. It is so okay. For those of you that are not on TikTok or don't know what I'm talking about, it is this filter that legitimately like puts on full glam, but it also like shrinks your face. It shrinks your nose. It pulls your eyes up. Eyes. It sinks in your cheeks. It takes away any like fine lines, like wrinkles, freckles, just like smooth. Like everything is just like photoshopped apparent or like essentially. But what I think is the craziest thing about it, because now I'm like so many people have been using this for so long. And like, I'm just now seeing that when you touch your face with the filter on it, like it doesn't move. Like, you know, the eyelashes filter, like if you go like this, like the eyelashes are like in front of your hand, like (laughs) this one, like it moves with you. So it is so like AI realistic. It's absolutely terrifying from the perspective that one, this is like the quote unquote beauty standard that people are striving for. That's just so unrealistic and not real. And two, that we've believed and continue to believe for so long that like, this is actually real because we see these people, these videos go fucking viral. Um, They're talking about wellness and they have this filter on and they're like, I just don't eat toxins and I look like this. Like, no, no, we know this, but how many young impressionable children really who are on this app don't know the difference or how to spot it? Like, it's really, really scary. So that's mine. (laughs) So my question, and this just shows how advanced I am with apps, like, because I know when you put on the bold glamour 
feature or what is it filter, you can tell that someone's using it. So basically like, I guess my question is there are many Photoshop filters, right? That people can use if they're pre-recording a video and then placing in a t- TikTok where it won't show you that they're or, using like a bold glamour. Totally. Filter. It'll only show that if you're editing your video inside the app or creating your video inside the app. If you're creating a video outside the app or you create the video, you save it and then post it like as a new video, it, it takes away the filter. So it doesn't actually necessarily show you that it's there, even though it is. Wild. Well, yeah. and we know, you know, we've had Victoria Garrick Brown on here before and she does those amazing videos of like, I don't even know how she does it, but like, she, yeah, it's like the video a live editors. video of like showing you how you can edit a video where you're moving around and it like sucks your stomach in or your arms in or like all of these things that I'm like, I... I'm like so naive to all of that, that people are doing that. It's like wild to me. I mean, the Kardashians have been doing it forever, but now it's like mainstream and it's just so insane. Like so insane. I also posted something the other day that like the Kardashians back in like 2011 were like my gateway into disordered eating with their like quick trim, that whole line of supplements that they had. I spent all my first paycheck on like all of their detox supplements back then. But that was like, quote unquote, what their, um, what they were using for their bodies. Right. And like now fast forward, what is it? 13 years. And they're pushing essentially like weight loss drugs. Like it's the same thing. Like we're stuck in this same cycle and it's just so infuriating like there's no difference between I mean there's a big difference between the two but like they're just continuously doing this damage to our society and people are still eating it up Mm. Mm. so much bullshit I I don't know have you been on Haley Selena TikTok I mean you've had to have Wait, like not enough because two of my dietitian friends called me out on it this morning because I posted a meme of Bieber and Haley and Clara, if you're listening to this, your dietitian BFF was like, Jenna, you clearly don't follow up with the, with the oh, gossip. Because Wait, you posted, <laughs> you posted Haley and Justin. Okay. That just exposed like, yourself the as the most elder millennial thing you could possibly ever do. She literally um, called me out. She's like, ooh, good. pick to post. <laughs> yeah, no, good. Because like you got to then do some deep diving or, or know how to maybe respond <laughs> to being in the dark. Because I was, I'm not going to catch you up on, on here. That's like just a waste of our time. I feel like listeners are gonna be like, what the fuck? But I do want to call out like it kind of all started with Selena Gomez and people starting to make comments about I'm not going to get into the Hailey Bieber stuff, but and and conspiracy theories or whatever, but that like people are starting to comment that like her body was changing and it's just like it, and and saying like, oh, she looks like she's put on weight and just how like. Like it's she 2020- responded to that. She responded like live on TikTok about it and like was defending. It was actually like so incredibly sad. I saw that because she, I mean she has a an autoimmune disorder and she was talking about how like when she's really like sick and like when she's in a really dark place, like she bloats. I I, I didn't watch it, well, but I lupus. saw like snippets yeah. of it. Lupus. Yeah. And like how like frustrating it is that people are like calling that out to her. Like she's sick. 
Yeah, like absolutely. And I think this goes back to like, it's never okay to comment on someone's body, whether you think you're complimenting if it's weight loss, which that is not a fucking compliment, or if you're making a comment on some, like it just, it's not okay. And I think, although that's like kind of unrelated to the Haley slash Selena <laughs> stuff going on, it's kind of intertwined there. And it just, it just makes me just livid. And I feel like if, if anything's going to be heard from my, what the actual fork moment, I just want to be like, stop commenting on people's bodies, period. End of story. Doesn't matter if they're a Kardashian. Doesn't matter if it's Haley Bieber. Doesn't matter if it's Selena. I don't care what the shit, like who it is. It's just, it's not okay to comment on people's bodies. Um, so I'll just leave mine at that. But Jenna, you have, you have some reading to do. You have some (laughs) deep TikTok holes to go down. I will add Um, this to my list. So last week on our podcast episode, we talked about Cozy Earth and we talked about all the benefits and all of the reasons why we love their sheets. And then when we stopped recording, Sam and I went through the entire website. Literally (laughs) item by item of which one to purchase. And because Sam already owns most of the website, I then went through the website with her and got all the deets on the absolute best things to purchase on the website. And actually, my package came yesterday, and I'm so excited to go to bed. (laughs) They honestly have the most like luxury, soft, and again, I I feel like the only way to describe it is like if you could do ASMR through a mic. (laughs) <laughs> to like describe how soft it is. That doesn't even really make sense, but it makes sense in my brain. Um, but I think I started really like bulk ordering their jammies when I was pregnant because I wanted like the comfiest things on my body. And then I got hooked and I will not wear anything else to bed and I will not use any other sheets. And that is just how it, it, it's going to be for the rest of my life. The rule has come to my home as well. I'm sure I'll feel the exact same way after I try on the jammies tonight or wear them to bed tonight. Um, But I am absolutely loving the sheets. Also, I have to add that I did order the lavender color of the pajamas and they're beautiful. I think it's a seasonal cover color. Highly recommend. But the sheets, I actually, when I was laying in bed last night was thinking, because I was wearing shorts and a tank top, which is not every night because I just felt hot last night. And so my skin was like really touching the, the sheets last night. And it was just like so cozy. It's soft. It feels super, super like silky. And I don't think we mentioned this last time, but Cozy Earth was named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018 for their best-selling bamboo sheets, which are also temperature regulating and also noted to be incredibly soft, which I completely agree with. And as someone who is a sweater at nighttime, I am waking up nice and cool these days. I was going to say, then you and Luke, you and Luke are the same person because I'm usually freezing, but they, but I'm not cold when I use their sheets. So they regulate to your temperature, which is amazing. So if you want to try the sheets, the jammies, all of the things, Cozy Earth has provided us with an exclusive offer for our listeners. It is 35% off site-wide when you use the code FORK. Again, that is 35% off the entire site using the code FORK. Let's do some listener reviews. So I'm You want to go first? Because I know you already have yours picked out. I'm going to go first because I know you're not choosing it because this one is entitled Jenna's Fitness Episode. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm excited. It is a, don't worry. It is a five-star review. It is from Mare, M-E-R-E, Mare, 
W10. And again, the, the review says Jenna's fitness episode, such an amazing episode, Jenna. Thank you for sharing your fitness journey this year. I moved from that going ham, heavy air quotes, craziness into movement that I enjoy and want to do you and Sammy have helped me so much with my relationship with food and fitness. Thank you for your work. It does not go unnoticed and it's changing lives. So I love that one because obviously your fitness episode, I want to say it's like one of our like highest downloads, which is amazing. It's a super raw episode. Yeah. yeah, And I feel like it's a good one that if people are listening today and they're like, Ooh, I want to dive more into my relationship with fitness. That's a great one to go back to. And I feel like you and I, the past few episodes too, like, like talking two to four weeks prior to this episode releasing, we, we start to talk about relationship with fitness again in a lot of the intros. So just wanted to call that one out. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm just picking a random and I hope that it's a good one. So it is five stars and it's from declay.mac. It says credible, humane, and humble information. I love listening to this podcast for so many reasons. Not only do the hosts retain their credibility through providing sources, evidence, and more to back up every nutritional and medical claim that they make. They also remember that we are all human. They share their personal experiences as as well as what they believe. I have listened to many quote unquote nutritional podcasts in the past that were not only where not only the hosts were not credible, but they also were not humble. Many people that I've listen to act like they're above everyone else who is trying to learn and grow their knowledge about different nutritional and intuitive eating information. This is not the case with these two wonderful hosts. Thank you so much to Clay.Mac. You guys, I know we say this a lot now, but these reviews mean so much to us and to the podcast as a whole. If you can find it in your heart to spend a minute just letting us know what you think of the podcast and rate and review and subscribe on whatever platform it is that you listen to your podcast each week, we would be eternally grateful. Yes. And we would love to to see your reviews come through. And we, like Jenna said, we read every single one and it's like we get to, I, I say this, I feel like every week, I, I don't realize how much we get to actually talk to people and people put us in their ears because we don't get to see them. So it's when those reviews <laughs> come through, it's like we're actually talking to listeners, which is so important. So I feel like we have to get into today's guest yes. because <laughs> it is just an amazing episode. So I don't want to hold back anymore. Let's do her bio and then just kind of get into it. So we had Sharon Maxwell on today and her Instagram account is at Hey Sharon Maxwell. Sharon Maxwell is a mental health advocate and fat activist. She works as a weight inclusive consultant, providing education to treatment centers and healthcare providers on the immense harms of weight stigma. Due to her lived experience facing weight stigma, Sharon provides unique insight and offers practical tools to make treatment centers and healthcare settings safe and accessible for fat folks. Sharon is passionate about breaking down the stigma around eating disorders and working to eradicate societal anti-fat bias. When she's not studying or engaged in her activism work, Sharon can be found exploring San Diego with her dog and her best friend. And this episode goes into so many important topics. We also define and discuss atypical anorexia, which is not something we've ever talked about on the podcast before, which I think a lot of people will be very 
surprised by the statistics that are shared about anorexia in general um, in this episode. I know I certainly was, and I am absolutely just so excited to share this episode with you guys. Yeah. So let's get into it because we just, there's, there's too much, too much goodness in here. So let's go. All right, Sharon, we're excited to just jump right in with you. (laughs) So to kick, to kick it off here, we love to start with your most recent or most profound, what the actual fork moment that kind of stopped you in your tracks. So maybe it was an encounter you had with a stranger. Maybe it was a post you saw on social media, but something related to diet culture, what's standing out to you right now that made you say, what the actual fork is this? I think the most profound thing recently has been um, the American Academy of Pediatrics coming out with their guidelines to treat childhood Osler. Um, and all of the all of the noise or silence that has followed suit um, in the um, eating disorder community online or just spaces online for folks who are allies of um, folks in the fat activist like um, space and stuff. So I think that whole thing has probably been the most um, blaring, like what in the actual fuck or fork <laughs> is happening. Fuck, no, we, we can throw fuck in for that one. And you know what's like so disappointing on top of that? that I actually just saw, I think it was Brie Campos, whose name pops up in most episodes, but I think she posted on her story today that she was like on the Academy of Nutrition's website for something today. And like on their main page, it's promoting their certification course, quote unquote, for pediatrics and adult. Oh, what did you call it? Osler? I love that. Osler, um, guidelines or whatever it is like right on the main page their certification yeah i get emails for that shit all the time and i'm like this is why i'm not in the academy i know take me on your emails (laughs) yeah it's crazy but i think in a capitalist society where everything ultimately goes back to how we can make money it makes sense that that is something that is so so heavily pushed um because ultimately it's going to bring in revenue for folks who treat treat there's not really a way to but to treat quote unquote (laughs) prescribe eating disorders for fat folks so yeah Uh, well thank you for bringing that up and it's it's not funny at all I was gonna say it's funny it's not funny but like every single person we've had on since these guidelines have come out that is the what the actual fuck moment and it's like (laughs) I don't know if that moment is ever going to change when we bring a guest on because we're all still shook and I think are going to be shook for a very long time until more comes to fruition with this and you know we figure out what's gonna change it does feel like though it was like a bomb that was dropped and then like nothing right like we're kind of yeah yeah but like uh, I don't know there I agree so much with what you just said about like or the lack thereof of like what's happened since Yeah, I think that um, it's been it's been interesting because I do see a lot of like moving parts and in different like organizations I'm involved with or groups of people I speak with and stuff. And so there are people like moving and trying to do things in the background. But also it's like, how do we I think the main question is, is like, like, what is the most impactful way to make a difference and and to actually um, like promote change or um, influence change with the American Academy of Pediatrics, right? Like 
so it's, um, yeah, I don't know. There is people are outraged, but then also people aren't really, it seems like there's not a lot of action happening, but I also do see waves happening. But and at the same time, I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes to how, how horrific and blatant um, anti-fat bias is and weight stigma is in the healthcare setting. I was recently interviewed by someone who was writing an um, article for like their college paper or something. And they were like, um, yeah, I pretty much only thought that weight stigma happened if you go and ask a doctor how to lose weight. And I was like, no, try every time you walk into an office, like the very first thing that is said when they walk in there is an assumption made about your weight um, and, and advice, unsolicited advice on what you need to do to restrict and how you need to move your body without ever asking what you're doing. I was like, it's not, no, it, I never once went to a doctor and said, how do I, <laughs> you know, change my body? It was automatically since I was like seven um, doctors telling me I need to change my body. And so I think that people are starting to realize that it's um, not this thing that's just happening in like a vacuum, but it is affecting like a vast majority of our, of our population and a huge, a huge form of oppression for fat folks. It's so, so normalized. I think Sam did a series on TikTok of like normalized versus disordered behaviors. And like so many people would just take that as, well, it's normal because my doctor is telling me to do it and like, don't even recognize how disordered it is. Yeah. I was talking to my friend last night on FaceTime and um, she was, she nannies for some doctors and she's like, I'm wondering what it would be like if I asked them what their thoughts are on the, you know, AAP guidelines and stuff. And then she was also talking about how the dad's doing intermittent fasting and like, um, but they let their kids kind of eat whatever they want. And, um, I was like, if dad's doing intermittent fasting, then like, we know what the answer is going to be because our society at large um, it's like as natural as it is for us to take breaths in when we see someone who's in a fat body and their body starts to go down, we are conditioned to think, oh my God, good, good job. Look at you. You're doing great. Like, what are you doing to lose weight? Like, that's awesome. Like, it's just like a reflex at this point. Like it's so normalized. Um, and like it, it's just, it's wild. So to ask someone who's in the medical profession or field, who is a doctor, who's also engaged, like fully entrenched in diet culture, what their opinion might be like, clearly it's going to be that the fat person needs to be smaller. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I was thinking today about how we talk a lot about having tools in your mental health toolbox to deal with emotions and just different struggles or feelings at different times and stages, phases of your life. And one of the ones I don't feel like we talk about um, enough is really therapy mm -hmm. as a whole. And it's something that has been absolutely instrumental in my recovery journey and my marriage and my motherhood journey and my life. <laughs> um, I cannot say enough good things about what therapy has been able to do for me as a human being. Um, and I know that you agree. Absolutely. And I feel like we went through a phase on here where we had so many therapists as guests. That, right. Because <laughs> I feel like that was when we were really deep into our healing journey. We're like, we just need more therapy. Um, we were using the therapist to help us too. Yes. Like not actually <laughs> using them, but we would, we would very clearly disclose that to them when they came on. But what I love about 
therapy, what I love and don't love joking, but is that it it really is about deepening your self-awareness and the understanding of why you show up the way you do, how you react to different situations. Um, And until I went to therapy and talked these things through, I just, I didn't have that self-awareness. And I know we talk a lot about self-awareness in, in the journey to food freedom and, and intuitive eating as well. So that's why I think therapy is just so helpful, not only for the food freedom journey, but just our, our journey through life and all of the relationships that we hold. Something we do talk about a ton that I love too, and what therapy can really be so helpful with also is setting boundaries, understanding what they are, understanding how they impact you and the world around you and the people around you. And it's just a very empowering experience. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, we definitely recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which I think is amazing. Yes. So if you want to discover your potential with BetterHelp, you can visit betterhelp.com slash fork today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash fork. Well, thank you for sharing everything you've shared up to this point. We have a lot we want to dive in with you. And so, you know, as a weight inclusive consultant working to eradicate societal anti-fat bias, there's a lot to unpack. But before we get there, we would love to hear whether it's 30 seconds or 30 minutes, just a little bit of how Sharon got to where she is today. Because I would assume you weren't born into this world saying, this is the work I'm going to do, right? And so how did you end up here in this space? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, So I was raised in a high demand religion that did not believe that mental illness was a thing. Um, We believed that it was like a result of sin or manifestation of sin. Um, And so um, I was raised in that and I was a teacher in that. And um, I left um, and coming up on seven years in, in July, it'll be seven years. I left that. Um, and in doing so, um, my eyes, I slowly started to deconstruct from that very narrow worldview. And, um, so yeah, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I, not only because of my body size, but also because of the conditioning with religiosity and what I believed about mental illness, I was completely, um, shook to my core. Like there was no way that I could have an eating disorder for so many reasons. Um, and so once I eventually went and got some treatment, um, and, (laughs) caveat, I went to, or I went side note, I went to treatment expecting that they would, they would be the ones to finally help me become small. Um, and so really with no awareness at all of what eating disorders even looked like, like I I had so much to deconstruct in that world as well, (sighs) went to treatment and started to slowly, but surely, um, have my eyes opened to, um, how prevalent anti-fat bias is in our society. Um, and then, um, it was, I think four years ago during eating disorder awareness week, I decided that I was going to post about on my social media about my eating disorder recovery journey. Um, and I had been in recovery for probably about a year at that point. Um, 
but I posted it honestly for the kiddos that I stopped teaching and I left. Um, and I left my social media public because I wanted them to see that you could leave this high demand religion and all the things that they said would happen, wouldn't necessarily happen to you. You weren't going to like be struck, not that they would say you'd be struck by lightning, but you're not going to be struck by lightning or, you know, something horrific is going to happen. And also mental illness, um, can happen and it cannot be like a direct result of sin and you can recover from it. And so I first posted it honestly for my kiddos because leaving was one of the hardest things was leaving a bunch of little me's behind um, and seeing them like fully entrenched in that system still and all the harms that come there from that. Um, and then I started just continuing to share my story on social media um, and then with folks in my world. Um, and then I was invited to speak at some different like eating disorder walks. And I grew up um, doing public speaking and things like that. And so I think um, I've always had a social justice um, flame in me that was kind of put out as a child or directed towards the um, the religion and um, their, their agenda. And so um, that kind of just grew and um, more opportunities came and I took them. And the more that I saw um, the injustice and um, for fat folks in general um, and the misrepresentation and, and lack of representation for them and the harms that come to fat folks just in the regular community as well, I just I couldn't stay silent. Um, and I think that once I found my voice, there was no shutting me up. Um, and then it, it wasn't necessarily just about, it was, yeah, for the, the kiddos that I left, but it was for little me, it was for me now and for a hope for future us, because I don't think that this is what our society has to continue to um, look like. And I do think there is real possible, real possibilities for change um, and that we can be agents for change. So um, those are some broad strokes of kind of how I got to where, where I am today. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and for all of the work that you're doing. The quote on your Instagram that says, when we recover loudly, we keep others from dying quietly. I think that is so powerful. I think you posted it yesterday, maybe during Eating Disorder Awareness Week, which is incredible. Can you expand on that thought a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just think so when I posted that, I was a little bit reticent to share it because I didn't want folks with eating disorders to feel like they had to be the ones to speak about it, right? Because the onus is not on the person recovering to share or to speak or to need to put themselves out there or in a way where they could face harm or any of those things. So that's the first little like disclaimer. And I think that when we do have folks who are willing to share those journeys or other folks who are willing to amplify the stories of folks they've known, um, the more that we speak, the more of those little fires that I just talked about that was in my world, we're lighting and we're igniting and we're helping people to see, um, you know, that um, eating disorders are real. They're deadly. They, um, for folks of all sizes, not just the thin, young, white, cisgendered, emaciated girl. Um, and so I think that like, speaking, whether it be speaking about accessibility to getting treatment or, um, whether it be about how to go to the doctor's office and advocate for yourself, like whatever level of care or, you know, help it is that you need having people to be able to be that voice and advocate to empower you um, and empower others will help us from having 
you know, more people dying in their eating disorder. I think there's just so much power in, in that. And I think one of the main things that I've heard from folks as I've shared my story and specifically after my story came out in the New York times magazine was that fat folks felt seen. Um, and that's not something that they had necessarily experienced or come across yet in their journey. Not that, you know, my story is the only one out there, but the fact that that one reached them. And I got so many messages of, um, I've never felt seen before. And I think that's the power of sharing our story to help people realize they're not alone in that darkness, um, in their illness, and there is hope outside of it. Thank you again for everything you're, you're sharing with us here today. And I'm so happy that you also brought up your feature in the New York times. It was so powerful and so badass. And like, when I saw that come out, I was cheering so freaking loud. Um, and I can't imagine how many like little Sharons in the world saw that and like felt like represented, right? Like those, like you said, the little kiddos you left behind that could see that. And so you, you know, it's eating disorder awareness week. And so there's so much out there right now. Um, you posted the truth bomb. Like there is a difference between fat and thin folks with eating disorders and I would love for you, anything you can kind of really expand on here, you know, for those who haven't seen your feature in the New York times, we will absolutely link it in the show notes. You know, the title of it being, you don't look anorexic. Right. And so I think that these two kind of go hand in hand. So anything you could share for our listeners, what is the difference of, okay, let's say we have an eating disorder. We have someone in a fat body versus a thin body. How how do those eating disorders present differently and how are they treated differently? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, this is something that I'm so <laughs> passionate about people understanding and, um, yeah, from healthcare professionals to loved ones, um, just to the individual struggling themselves. Um, and I think, you know, earlier mentioning like the way that we're conditioned to think that fat is unhealthy, thin is healthy, fat is bad, thin is good. Um, the same thing we have conditioning around what it is that we picture and we think of when we think of eating disorders and we hear the word eating disorder and that automatically, you know, when it pops in our mind again, it's that thin, young, white, cisgendered female, um, girl, um, who's emaciated with an eating disorder. However, we know that the vast majority um, in fact, I believe the statistic is less than 6% of folks with eating disorders live in a medically quote unquote underweight body. And so when you look at that fact, that means 94% or more of folks with eating disorders are in quote unquote normal to plus size bodies. And yet when you go to the doctor and you um, walk into your primary care physician, which should be someone who should be able to refer you to get the support and the help that you need for a mental and or physical illness, which an eating disorder is both and needs help in both areas, medically, nutritionally, and um, psychologically, you need all of those components. Um, but yet these doctors, still as well, they're not, um, they are not on the outside of the people with the same stereotype in their head of an eating disorder. Um, and they don't see or know 
how to recognize an eating disorder. And even when the individuals who are thin, young, you know, fit the stereotype come in, they still don't even often know. They're not educated enough to even know what tests to run, what, where to point them and direct them. So first and foremost, like just in general, the eating disorder awareness in our society and like what needs to happen is we're so ill-educated on it. But then when it comes to a fat person versus a thin person, when a fat person goes to the doctor, as I said earlier, we're automatically prescribed weight loss. When I was a child in third grade, I went in for strep throat and another girl in my class was getting strep throat a lot too. Katie, she was thin. She was whatever. She got her tonsils out after like two or three bouts of strep throat slash tonsillitis, whatever it was. I had it. My doctor told my mom first thing I needed to be losing weight because I had strep throat. My tonsils were inflamed with white shit all over them and I was told to lose weight. And um, then it, it happened recurringly until I was in my mid twenties. And each time I was on antibiotics every three to four months, I'm gonna come back to your full, it's full circle, don't worry. Every three to four months though, I was on antibiotics and I was, um, my tonsils never fully went back to their original, like small state. So when I was not ill, if I opened my mouth large enough, people could see my tonsils hanging out in the back of my throat. Like the dentist would have other people come in and see how huge my tonsils were. And then when I was in my mid twenties, um, I got tonsillitis again, but that time it closed off my airway and I had to be rushed to the emergency room. And I was hospitalized for almost a week with on, um, like I had to receive breathing treatments, like this whole thing in order to be able to breathe on my own, get the infection down. And then finally at that point, they removed my tonsils. So doctors were so concerned about my body size, never asking about my behaviors. So be, and prescribing eating disordered behaviors to me while never stopping to ask what my behaviors were around food and around my body. And what they did not know is that they were simply encouraging what was already an eating disorder. I went 19 years undiagnosed and untreated in an eating disorder and like uh, <laughs> 19 years. So the difference between a thin person and a fat person with an eating disorder is you can go 19 years. And luckily, 19 years later, I found a doctor who, when she took my routine labs, sat down with me and gently asked me um, what my behaviors around food looked like. And I of course was like, yeah, I need more discipline. Like I need, like, I, I, I just like knew she was going to prescribe, you know, a diet to me. And she's like, what are you? And then she started asking me like very pointed questions. Like if I was purging, if I was, you know, X, Y, and Z doing these different things. And I was shocked because that's not the experience I'd ever had. And if I hadn't had that encounter right there, who knows where I would be, or if I would still be alive right now. And so the different <laughs> fat people, doctors encourage eating disorders. They prescribe them, um, as to young children, um, and adults alike. Um, whereas the thin person, it's like, oh no, you're, you're, you're underweight. We need to get that fixed or, you know? And so, but when 94% of us are living in not medically underweight bodies, like how, how many more actually are out there that don't even know they're out there that have eating disorders, you know, like how, how narrow is that less than 6% actually. So. Correct me if I'm wrong. Atypical anorexia. Is that new ish to the DSM criteria? It was like on a relative basis. 
Yeah, it was added to the DSM-5, okay. um, which is the most current um, DSM diagnostic uh, manual. And um, it, um, the only, the difference between quote unquote, atypical anorexia, um, it's, is just the fact that you're not an underweight body. You can have the exact same medical complications. My heart struggled and is, I'm still dealing with long QT syndrome, which is like a rare, um, thing you can get from it, but, um, from an eating disorder, but like it, I lost my period for almost 10 years. I had hair loss um, and bald spots on my head. When I showed those baggies of hair to my doctor, what did she tell me to lose more weight? Um, like I was passing out. I told my doctor I was passing out, told me to drink some more water. I was water loading. <laughs> did she know that? No. Like, you know, like there's just all of these. Um, yes. Sorry. Atypical anorexia um, is anorexia for folks in higher weight bodies, but it's the exact same like presentation with the, with the, with the difference being, you can't see it because it doesn't look like what you think anorexia looks like. Don't ever apologize for speaking on our podcast because <laughs> you sharing your lived experience with us is not only what we're asking you, but what is such a gift to our listeners to be able to hear this story and thank you for, for clarifying that for our listeners, because isn't it ironic that it's called atypical anorexia when 94% of people that have eating disorders are residing in bodies that are larger than the air quotes underweight categories. So hmm, yeah. it doesn't sound very atypical to me. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's that problematic language that we're just all so deeply trying to fight against. So, you know, for anyone listening who connects to your story and, you know, is, is at a loss of like, what do we do now? You know, as a, as a consultant, you know, when we fight anti-fat bias, like where do we start? If, if people feel hopeless right now, like what are some first steps that they can take or, or where do you invite people to start with some of this work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the individuals struggling, um, unfortunately, um, if you are in a large body and you are battling an eating disorder, that means that you are likely going to have to speak up for yourself more than you ever should be asked to. Um, and so what that looks like, um, would be, um, You know, I mean, it would depend. There's, it would depend. Broad strokes, I guess, because it depends on the specific situation. But you would need to advocate for yourself um, in going to the doctor and asking for um, to to not have weight be a topic of conversation, and to ask them if they have a recommendation or a referral if it's needed for your insurance to an eating disorder facility, or um, if you have an eating disorder. If you don't have an eating disorder and you're just in a fat body, it would be asking the doctor to treat you not treat your body, but to treat the symptoms that are going on and to treat, um, behaviors and things like that. As far as systemically and anti-fat bias within the eating disorder community. Um, I mean, oh my God, there's so many different like avenues this could go down. Like I break them down into like little categories. So individually you have to advocate for yourself that might look like advocating to your insurance as well. Um, because oftentimes insurance is gonna, um, like, might, um, deny you access to treatment. So I recommend following folks on social media who do share tips and things like this. Um, 
uh, about how to navigate this. I am going to be having a blog post come out um, soon um, that'll be linked on my page as well about how to kind of advocate for um, with your insurance and how to get like care and ways that I did that personally as a fat person in recovery. Um, and on the top of my head, I'm blanking at some of the other people who have, I think Reagan Chaston is someone else who shared tips on how to do that. Um, but I can send you all some like names of people who have shared, like, you have to advocate for yourself. If you're unable to advocate for yourself, you feel like you can't speak that I would encourage you to bring someone with you who is supportive and who can help speak with you, um, and encourage you to like share what it is that you need. Um, secondly, I would say, no, maybe this should have been first. You're not alone in that, like building a community online. If you can't build one in person around you is going to be helpful in supporting you getting your, your needs met. Um, and, um, then like, as far as, um, uh, like it, it goes like systemically, like individual doctor's offices, treatment centers, like there's so many like branches here. I could talk about it for days. Um, but to, you know, clinicians listening or any, you know, medical professionals, um, the first and first thing is when I walk into a room anywhere I go, I know if it's been thought about, um, if a fat person would feel safe or welcomed in that room. So what does it look like? Like accessibility speaking, like, can the person move? throughout like your, your furniture and the things in your space without their body bumping up against other things as their seating, they can sit in that, um, feels comfortable to them and that their body will be able to fit in and that they won't break it and then be embarrassed. Do you have blood pressure cuffs that fit? Do you have BMI charts on your wall that need to come the fuck down? Are you, um, treating, um, refeeding someone with, um, anorexia and a higher weight body on a exchange system and underfeeding them and not actually re-nourishing their body. Um, are you like, you know, there's just so many ways that, um, professionals can be stepping up to the plate. I don't actually know if I answered the question that you asked me, Sammy, I think I kind of went a little all over the place with that because there's so many branches to it. I think it was perfect. I was going to say, <laughs> it doesn't even matter what I fucking asked. You just, you crushed it. Okay, Sam. Although my son is two, I don't know if you can relate to this. We still very much have a witching hour at our home. And more recently it has fallen like directly during the, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes that I get to put dinner on the table. How convenient. Um, <laughs> I don't know how Sienna is at nighttime during that time, but it seems to be the time of day where no one needs me most, which I love, but it also makes becoming creative and coming up with new ideas for dinner pretty challenging. So recently I've started using Green Chef, which has made that so much easier. So it takes away that thinking from me when I don't have a lot of time and I don't have a ton of energy to put together an elaborate meal. I love how they now have 30 plus new recipes weekly available with options to mix and match different meals for all dietary preferences in the household. And if you find a recipe that you love, you can now double the portions of that order in your recipe. So like if there's one recipe that your family loves and you want to make it more than once because it's easy and it makes you happy, you can now do that so simply. So that's my current experience with Green Chef. I don't know how you feel, but I would love to hear. Well, I love the the whole part about <laughs> less cooking and more quantity. <laughs> Sounds right up my alley. 
But no, I love what I love about Green Chef as a meal kit company is I shared on on a podcast that you and I were on this morning just about my experience with my relationship with food postpartum and food just in the stage of life that I'm in with a nine month old right now. Food feels inconvenient sometimes. I feel like I'm struggling to prioritize self-care when I know that nourishing my body is clearly a form of self-care. So I really love how Green Chef has made it easy with their 10-minute lunches. So each week's menu includes two different low-prep, nutrient-dense lunch recipes, and it takes just 10 minutes. So And no cooking required, because I've shared on so many podcasts (laughs) how I am a dietitian, but I am not a chef. And I am not... I'm not the most um, interested in spending hours in the kitchen. So that's something I really loved about Green Chef, that they've made it easy and convenient to nourish myself. I love that so much. So if you guys are interested in giving Green Chef a try, we're super excited to offer you an exclusive discount if you go to greenchef.com slash fork60 and use code fork 60 to get 60% off plus free shipping, which is incredible. So again, that's go to greenchef.com slash fork 60, use code fork 60 and get 60% off plus free shipping. I know too. And and Jen, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Sharon, we get so many people that come to us that that they, they, they want to start an intuitive eating journey, right? They want to heal their relationship with food. They want to heal their relationship with their body. And I don't think people recognize in the beginning, some do, I'm, I'm various, I'm, I'm stereotyping here, but anti-fat bias work is necessary and mandatory if you want to heal your relationship with food and your relationship with your body. It should be mandatory outside of that anyways. So I want to start by saying that, but I think like so many clients get to a place where they didn't know that that was going to be a part of this journey. And so I would love to hear from you for, for, for people that are maybe hearing this conversation and they're like, I was just trying to like heal my relationship with food. What is this conversation you guys are having? If there's any way, like anything you want to say to people that are maybe hearing this for the first time or are, you know, maybe they have body image struggles, but they didn't know that dismantling fat phobia was also, you know, very important work. I would just love to hear what you have to say or how to invite people into these conversations that are just so necessary. Yeah, that is such an important topic and things that like, I think is so overlooked and that work is not just for fat folks to do. In fact, I would say it is far almost maybe more important for the thin folks. I don't know if I can say more important, but just as if not more important for the folks who aren't living in um, the marginalized body to be doing this work and the why my cat is losing her mind. I'm sorry. The why behind that is um, if you look at the root of like, you say, I want to heal my relationship with food, right? So if you're afraid to eat Oreos, why, why are you afraid to eat Oreos? And okay, well, if I eat the Oreo, it's bad. Why is it bad? Like what happens? Like, and you ask, continue to ask those questions. Like, what about that makes, does that make you bad? Well, yeah. Why does it make you bad? It makes me bad because then, you know, I'm eating bad food. What happens if you eat bad food? Ultimately the whole question leads back to, well, then I'm going to be fat. Right. So 
or then I'm, you know, not quote unquote healthy. Well, what is your idea of healthy thin, right? It all drives back, back to anti-fat bias. Like if it's not Oreos, it's something else. If it's pasta, it's carbs, whatever. And so, or body image, the same thing. Um, and, and I want to say it's not as easy as just being like, oh, I'm just going to drop my, you know, anti-fat bias at the door because that's, it's conditioning. We have to actively deconstruct from. It is a painful process. And it is also, while it's painful, it's such a rewarding process. We have to be willing though to pause, stop, reflect, and you know, think about our thought process, think about the things we're saying or the people we're engaging with, their, their language and how that is impacting um, this system of oppression that we that we live in and how is it continuing to be in this cyclical process of oppressing the fat body and it affects every single one of us um, regardless of size so um and ultimately is rooted in you know racism is rooted in patriarchal standards this is rooted in white supremacy um and like the list goes on um and so if we're gonna find which is why I say that like um you, you know, eating disorder recovery, eating disorder awareness, fat liberation, body, you know, body positivity, none of these exist in a vacuum. They are all so intertwined and intermingled because they ultimately, they, they point back to where, where were they founded? What, what are they rooted in? Racism and all of these things. And so we have to be willing to actually look at the hard truth of like, where it stems from. And I'm not going to ever stop doing this work of deconstructing from anti-fat bias personally. And I think it's going to be a lifelong journey, especially in this capitalistic society that's always pushing the fact that we need to change our body to fit certain molds and do things like that. Thank you so much. Every single snippet of this episode is like a buzz. <laughs> like every, every little piece of this is going to help so many people. One thing I just want to go back to before we kind of wrap it all together is I can't help but continue to think, you know, if somebody listening to this has inklings that perhaps they have an eating disorder or, you know, their disordered habits are going to an extreme and they don't trust their doctor. They've had these poor experiences in the past. And yes, of course, we can encourage people to find inclusive care, but we know how challenging that is with everything that, you know, goes along with it. Who, where would you steer that person who's like, well, then who the fuck do I go to, right? Like maybe they don't have a therapist. Maybe they should, but maybe that's not something that's like in their cards right now. Um, I know personally, I think that OBGYNs are just as problematic in this regard as primary care. So I feel like that would be off the table unless you two have a different opinion, but where would you suggest somebody to turn if they don't necessarily trust that their doctor would steer them in the right direction or even take them seriously? Oh, totally. Um, great question. And, um, I think that two great resources for, um, eating disorders and finding, um, helping provide accessibility to care and our support groups would be, um, the national Alliance for eating disorders, um, and also project heal. Um, and I would add one other to that, which is ANAD. Um, and they provide, um, twice a year, they, they match people up with peer mentors, which is a free program. Um, and you, you get to like walk along, um, like a six month relationship, I believe with someone else who's already gone through recovery and is solid in their recovery and get like that free support. Um, the, the Alliance has support groups 
that are free virtually across the country and in person in multiple states. Um, and Project Heal helps people with funding to get into all levels of treatment, to get a therapist if they can't afford it. Um, and um, so I would say also, I, I wanna like make sure I'm clear, like clear that um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going to your doctor first, unless you are having medical um, uh, conditions. Then, I, I mean, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor, but if you're wanting eating disorder support, you're likely not going to find that from your primary care. So let that be clear, message be clear. And you are likely going to need to advocate for yourself when you do go to your primary care. And I understand that you're not going to want to go to your primary care if you're in a fat body because of, yeah, it goes up because of all of the harm that happens there. And yet, if we don't go to the doctor and we don't advocate for ourselves, that is where weight stigma affects our actual health and allows these conditions to worsen. So please don't hear to not go to the doctor or let the, the, the challenges of going to a doctor prevent you from going. I have looked everywhere. I live in San Diego. There should be a health at every size doctor in Sandy fucking Diego. Okay. But there's not, there's not, there's one who markets herself as such, but she causes harm to fat folks and has caused harm to me. So instead I go to my doctor who I know sees my body as a problem. We have established that. And I have also established that they have zero permission to talk to me about my body. They have zero permission to talk to me about what I eat. So, you know, when you do need to go to a doctor, just want to put that side note in there. You got to be able to be very clear. You will not weigh me. You will not talk to me about this. We can look at my labs. We can look at the symptoms I'm experiencing here. You can refer me to other doctors. I think that oftentimes when we go to the doctor, we think they are the authority on our body. That is so not true. They have done a shit ton of school. They have educated themselves in amazing ways about the way the human body works. But they see us for, if they're like a typical doctor, 60 seconds um, once a year, or you know maybe, maybe longer, maybe they sit with you for 10 or 15 minutes. We are the expert on our bodies. So when you walk into the doctor's office, regardless of your size and the stigma you may face when you walk in, I want, like, if you could be empowered in one thing and going to the doctor's office, again, I am off the topic. I think I answered the first question, but then I got on a tangent. And um, when you go, I think, um, like, empowering yourself and saying, like, hey, I am the expert on my body. I can trust my body. And even saying that to the doctor, like, if you feel empowered enough to be able to say that, um, to remind yourself and them, like, this is a service they're providing you. They are not the authority on your body. And I rest my Off the mic. I love that. That's that was such a good point too. Cause you're paying them. <laughs> like, yes. It's a fucking service. Like, yes. <laughs> oh, and okay. I think Sorry. I wanted to also <laughs> drop in there. Cause I, it was um, everything you said was so helpful and going to be so helpful to our listeners. But if people don't feel confident enough to advocate for themselves and Sharon, you might have additional resources you want to share here as well, but we've had Dr. Asher Larmy on here mm. multiple times. So we love their resources at noway.org where they have tons of resources of letters you can print out to hand to your doctor, or if you don't feel comfortable setting some of those boundaries, do you have any others you want to add as well? Um, no, I know that, um, health there, you can look up health at every size clinicians and like Hayes has like that. If you want to try to find someone, I know Asher is incredible. And again, I didn't come prepared with like a list of these different, okay. but, um, 
I personally this week have on um, with the eating disorder awareness week, I'm going to be sharing some of those tips and I'm hopefully relaunching my website soon. We'll see about that, but that will also be, you know, a resource on there of things that I've done as well for folks. Um, but regardless, Asher's incredible. Um, and following folks who do talk about this on social media can be very empowering. Um, for the people who still feel very silenced and very much in that oppressed state, um, in the, in their doctor's office and stuff, and like, they're unable to advocate for themselves. So I, yeah, printing something out is so incredible and helpful, um, to just hand it as well. Awesome. Well, this, this has been an amazing, amazing time spent with you. And I think it's going to be so helpful to so many of our listeners, before we wrap and tell people where they can find you is, is there anything as we close out that if you're like, okay, people are going to forget everything I said, but I want them to remember one thing. What would you want listeners to walk away with remembering? No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure at all. I think you're the expert on your body. Um, You are your best advocate and you are the expert on your body. And I hope you've like, if you don't believe it, like, stand in front of the fucking mirror and say it a million times. It's not going to sink in right away, but you, you truly are like, and our society has um, trained us so well to unlearn that. Um, but you are the expert on your body. Thank you so much. Can you tell everyone where they can find more of you and just more information um, about you and your work? I'm mostly on, um, Instagram. I I post on TikTok sometimes that's pretty toxic over there, (laughs) um, for fat folks. Um, so, uh, but on Instagram, I'm at Hey Sharon Maxwell. Um, and, um, I also, um, if I get my website up and running, it will also, everything is Hey Sharon Maxwell. That's what it'll be. Hey Sharon Maxwell. So come say, Hey, (laughs) get it. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all of your friends and faves, and don't forget to rate and review and let us know what you want to hear more of. The more we hear from you, the more that we can make these episodes exactly what you want. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram at whatthefork.pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for more fun.